Welcome to season two of the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Bruce Bugby. Bruce, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Bruce Bugby. I am the new VP of Data Science here at Caliber Mind. I this is the tail end of week one for me. I am coming in and super excited to be joining this team and really looking at trying to build out the next phase of what it means to add data science, machine learning, intelligence to this platform that the team has already worked so hard building and just getting a chance to build something up from from the ground up and really be a part of something that seems to have some some big aspirations that I am feeling confident we can meet. Well, I am really excited. I know we all are. And what I'm excited to talk about on the podcast is kind of bringing the human element into analytics. Soft skills are so important. And it's something I see missing sometimes from uh, more data-minded people. And I know we had a really good conversation about about this. One of the areas I see a gap in that soft skills is when uh, presenting data to the executive leadership team understanding how much information to spew at them and how to layer in context. Tell me, what are some common missteps uh, that both of us actually confess to making to each other? And how, how do you think that changed over time? Yeah, there, there's a lot in that topic. And I think the... Yeah. Uh, at Sorry. The, at the, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a good place to jump off. At the, at the core of it, I think the important thing to always bring back to is that analytics, data science, machine learning, all the applied math and cool algorithms in the world mean nothing unless they're actually producing something actionable or informing context and decision making at some level. So there's naturally this disconnect between the people who are really good at gathering the data doing smart things with it, interrogating the results, leveraging modeling, really sort of the experts at that domain and the translation layers of turning that into what does this mean for a business? What does this mean to a VP of marketing or sales? What does this mean to a CEO? And that, that translation layer is the hardest part. Oftentimes, I see that there is a disconnect between what gets shown and that here is just the spewed version of all the numbers, all the results, and they might still be impactful, but there's a, a level of curation that needs to occur to really sort of always bring it back to the top line question. So there's a lot of areas where I think that that falls on its face. The first, I would actually say, probably stems not from the analyst, but from the people wanting the insight or needing the insight, because there is a, a responsibility on their end to really ensure that whoever is doing this work, whatever team, whatever management structure, that at the core of it, the core idea of need is really being broken down and understood. So at the end of the day, I should be able to go to a junior data analyst and they might not have the full picture of where they sit in the business world. They don't need the strategic vision. They don't need all that. But what they do need to know is how this ML analysis, what the statistical breakdown they're looking at, have at least like a a vague idea of like what this does for the business. And that can be curated and broken down. But oftentimes leaders are bad at doing that. And they say, ah, go use data, go find data. There, there is value in data. And they don't necessarily at least give 
a crumb of guidance of what problems would be interesting to solve. And then you get a lot of generated from the bottom analyses, which aren't bad and can yield great things. But now you're asking someone to be both business domain expert and and data expert at the same time. Those, those That comes with experience. But if I am sitting in an executive role and I want the answer to something, it would help if the people answering the question knew what the question was. I really like understood it. So that's probably the first misstep I see a lot of um, when this sort of pattern starts showing up. So before we dig into the next misstep, because I know this is a huge topic, yeah. I'm going to hit a lot of them, which I'm so excited about. But <laughs> I love your point about the analyst being given this really broad direction without understanding the intent behind it. I would say I think the responsibility is on both ends. Yeah. So one of the first skills I want to see an analyst develop is drilling down and asking questions. You have to understand the why, and you're going to have to ask why five times. Now, it's on the leader's uh, shoulders to be able to gracefully accept those questions and not treat the person like they're a minion and they're just going to go off and and do as they're told. It's really important for them to get that context. So if you're asking me for what's the conversion rate for all of our channels in marketing, what you're probably really asking is which channels are converting into opportunities and how well are marketing and sales working together on that handoff that's good. That analysis is completely different than what was originally asked for. Mm-hmm. And, and generally, we don't even get that much detail, right? Yeah. I want to know if marketing is working is usually yeah. the question. And sometimes they don't even know what they're really asking for and the details they need. So looking at that big gap that can happen, the CEO says, I want to know if marketing is working. Where can that analyst go? to get some pointers on where they should even start looking. Like what are the, what are the key questions? There's just, where yeah. do you start? Yeah, I definitely think there's sort of the, there's responsibility at both. You can't have a conversation without two people at the very minimum. That's sort of a required thing. As, as much as I scream into the void, it feels like when I'm yelling for requirements or at, <laughs> metaphorically, it, uh, it, for that to have any value, there needs to be almost a customer-like relationship internally. Um, and that is a, a conversation that requires an analyst. And this might change depending on where they're at in their career, how experienced they are, how comfortable they are with senior leadership, company structure. There's a lot of variables there. And that's a learned skill that needs to be coached and encouraged that hopefully when someone's coming up as a junior, sort of fresh out of college, fresh out of a data science boot camp, something like that, that they are being given the opportunities to start asking why from day one. A lot of times what happens there in that regard is that the best relationships are, yeah, I sit there and I'm in a leadership role. I say, oh man, I've got a cool idea. I want answers about X, Y, Z. And then I'm now saying this to another person and I'm like, cool, they clearly understand what I want. But in reality, they don't or they only they have an interpretation of it. It's a lossy transform of information. So by them asking questions, they're really illuminating what they're hearing from me. (laughs) One that either says, oh, I'm not making my point or two that really tells me, 
Oh, I didn't really understand my own point. And I think it's the latter a lot of times. So these conversations, I think, really illuminate at least the path of saying, hey, okay, we started the question, is marketing working? That's an amazing high level question of just saying, is it working? I'm an analyst in school. I could, before I go run off and say, okay, I, I got that. I can, I'm prone to saying yes, because I want to go derive value. I want to go use all these cool data science things that I know about. Maybe I want to use the most recent frameworks. Maybe I get really excited about the tools that I get to use. And that's great. I need to be like, okay, is marketing working? I need to go, well, how is that measured? What is the the baseline there? And it's really easy to caught up in nuanced conversations like, oh, there's so many different ways to measure it. One of the quotes that you, you probably already heard me say, but I'll say it throughout the entire time we work together is, there's a famous quote in statistics by George Box, I think it was, is like, all models are wrong, some are useful. So I just accept that everything, there, there's always a different way, there's always nuance, but let's just pick something. We don't let the perfect be the enemy of good, and we just say, okay, I'm going to look at how much, how many opportunities were generated, and I'm going to look at what, how those translate into actual revenue based on just a very simple breakdown. Start really simple, and then use that as your baseline to expand. Because if you just give them the whole nuanced domain to muddle through, you're not going to get value from that analyst. They're going to be lost and you're not going to get something that's actually useful. So now a couple of weeks have gone by, you're meeting with this analyst and they're like, okay, they pulled their hair out trying to give you something. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not, but it's, it's not the most efficient return on investment of time for either party. So that's probably right where it starts is I try to compartmentalize these questions and say, okay, what's the smallest version of this question we can answer first? What's the obvious follow on? And then just sort of build up from there as we start digging, at least at this sort of like high level digging in of an analyst trying to answer a real question. Yeah. And I think part of the difficulty there too, just inherently in the question is somebody who's just fresh to the organization or fresh to supporting a certain department, they're lacking a lot of context and what the the business use or the uh, industry uses overall and what the benchmarks are. Like it is just a really difficult thing to throw somebody into doing. Yeah. A comfort level with the executives. Love that point. Want to touch on that a little bit more. So sure. I remember first coming out of college, being asked to run some analysis and then present that to the executive team. I kind of laugh at how nervous I was now because <laughs> they're people. They don't know everything and they're not there to tear you down, right? Like they're going to appreciate the insight. They're going to apply whatever context they have to it and they're going to take it with a grain of salt. And that's not a reflection on your ability. I noticed younger analysts, and I think we were talking about this, we both did this, we have a tendency to look at a presentation as almost a legal case proving our point and the work we did and and how solid things are. And you said something really insightful. And that was a lot of younger analysts feel like they need to prove that they should be there. Can we dig into that just a little bit more? Yeah, I think there's definitely, this is where both the human element in understanding these sort of data and like analyses, but also the human element of you have a young person early in their career trying to validate why I'm standing in front of a CEO or why I'm here or even why I got this job. And it's not exclusively young, young analysts that uh, suffer from this. I am suffering from this 
periodically this week starting my new job <laughs> in a good way. It's it's to the point of there is when you ever you change things, move out of your comfort zone, move out of familiarity. For me, I was at Oracle for three years and I got I was very comfortable. I was a known quantity. I knew the landscape of my world. Now I'm in a 20-ish person startup and I'm talking to brand new people and it's a completely different paradigm shift for me. And I'm super excited, but there's also nerves around it. And that is only compounded when you're earlier stage in career where you don't have the sort of experience of being through the ringer of, yes, they hired me knowing exactly who I am, exactly the skills that I bring and what I can do. I We were talking about this early in my career. I came from academia. And so after my PhD, what you do typically as a PhD, you do a bunch of job talks and they always give you like an hour to sort of talk about your research. And that research is essentially four years of my life of what I was doing. And that mm-hmm. I look back at that presentation and it is so crammed and jam packed with any math and graphs and I like just everything I've ever done that it's not a good presentation. It's more of just validating. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a smart person and I, I earned this degree. Please hire me for this job. But to, to bring it back into this with a a younger analyst or really anyone from from a data centric perspective looking to give this sort of impactful presentation, I definitely think that there is a level of coaching that go that becomes more important and just really clear expectations being set that if it's a hopefully there's probably some manager sitting in between it's like they're unless the very small entity that manager's job is to really sort of help key up hey this is what a presentation for this level actually is. Mm-hmm. The way I, I used to do that is the, I would boil it down to say, you have five minutes and one slide to make this point. Yeah. And then, then, then we'd start from there. Uh, and like, it's like, what's your version of this statement for that? What's the 10 minute version of this? What is the 30 minute version of this? Because you can always throw things in an appendix if you need slides. But really like starting at like, you have, one slide, and I would be pretty rigorous about this with my junior devs that I would train. You have one slide to pretend to give to my boss or my boss's boss, no text, just pictures. You have five minutes to talk. What is that presentation? And I found that's a really useful tool to hone in on like the key element, because if they don't have there, they can only give the top line thing. It's there you avoid the 20 minute conversation about why I chose algorithm A versus algorithm B, which I personally find extremely interesting. VP of marketing maybe doesn't, especially if we're in back to back meetings all day. And it's just like, Hey, I want to know the answer to this. Um, that's a great appendix. That's a great follow on conversation, but it's helping them know the room and then giving, really giving like a defined structure to sort of say, these are your boundaries right now and almost artificially restraining it. Mm-hmm. And then expanding out from there is some, I do that to this day. I had heard a statement once when trying to figure out how many slides to have for a presentation, like, Oh, roughly one a minute. And then I was like, well, I would do that. And it's just so much. You got 60 slides in an, an hour long talk. I now at, typically it's one per five minutes for me, one per 10 minutes at most. Yeah. And I hate putting text on slides. <laughs> I prefer thing like at least I don't want to be reading the same thing that they uh is on the deck. And I also don't want them right. reading and not listening to me. So what's there is supplementary to me, the person talking and doing analysis. So lots of pictures, lots of graphics, diagrams, things like that. 
but the real part, the real party is over here with me talking. This is just a sort of help. You should be able yes. to close your eyes and still get some sort of insight there. 100%. And then I think the risk a lot of less experienced analysts don't understand with presenting a lot of data at once is that people get distracted by what you're showing. Mm-hmm. They they zoom in on one point of data. It's not always the right point. So if you're trying to tell a specific story, narrow it down to the specifics that you're trying to get across. If I'm showing a chart with every conversion point and I really just want to focus on one of them, if I put that chart up, I'm running the risk of somebody who's really data-minded. So I worked with a CEO who had an accounting background. <laughs> we would get fixated on one data point and it, it wasn't at the level that I needed. And that was a reflection on my presentation, not necessarily his mindset, right? So understanding who he is going forward, I would really minimize the data points I display, really focus in on the points I want to make and then take all that text away. And I love your point about you have five minutes to make your point in one slide. Even if you have an hour, you really only have five minutes in one slide. (laughs) Yeah. Because if you don't get them immediately, it's just not going to happen. Hi, I'm Kamala Thompson, Director of Growth at Caliber Mind. A lot of times we talk to prospects and they're excited about modernizing their marketing analytics, but they're worried about the data underneath. And that's a valid concern. That's why we came up with our Back to Basics Bootcamp to help you address all of the issues that stand in the way of you and insights that actually make sense. We'll meet each month to review a best practice. In addition to that, you'll walk away with handouts that go through how to implement each piece and a Slack channel where you can ask experts on demand about your organization, your processes, your systems. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's free and product agnostic, and we really suggest that you take us up on it. The program starts on February 8th, 2022, and space is limited, so register today at calibermind.com. I've started doing this a lot more in recent years in that even if it's like, oh, Bruce is going to give a talk for an hour, it might be about something technical, it might be specifically about a deep dive of something, but it's very it's very common that these things are structured to go linear, linearly. So it's almost like you're, it's a movie to sort of save the big reveal for the end. It's like, haha, and here's your reward for sitting through. Yeah. It's just like you have an executive summary with a paper. The executive summary is a summary for executives. I think people forget that sort of why that's called that. Yeah. But I, my first slide essentially, if, if, if the laptop crashed and we got kicked off Zoom, you got that. You got the gist of it. I'll email the rest of it to you or yes. everything in an appendix or some sort of other supplementary material. I'm a big fan of you have your primary resource and then you have your slides past the conclusion of, okay, here is the here's the, the big sort of picture with all the data points on it. If someone had a question, we can at least reference it. Or here is a breakdown of a certain methodology. Here is a glossary of terms or anything like that. I'm also a big fan of of asynchronous documentation to really refine what I mean when I'm talking about analysis, when I'm talking about a problem, and either sending it as a pre-read or sending it as a follow-up document with it. So essentially, I want the outcome of a lot of work products for me or analysts that work for me or data scientists or engineers, outside of maybe code or implementation, especially when we're in like this research phase of, oh, can we predict X, Y, Z? What what's the impact of this on that or or some sort of data question is maybe a one to two page white paper just real quick that says, 
this was the problem. This was the methodology. This is what we did. These were the results. And that's sort of my, my minimum viable product before, on top of anything else for what this means. That helps a lot with tribal knowledge not getting lost, that it builds a culture of research and transparency. And it also gives you a framework for not feeling like you have to cram everything into the presentation. Like the, the most important thing is the analysis. And I think younger analysts or younger devs can get lost and feel that I have to, this is my shot. This is my point where I get to like make a big splash and this is the only outcome here. The, the presentation is just a vehicle in which that's disseminated. And it might not be the best vehicle for that. It might be documentation. It might be a Slack chat. It might be something else. But typically in a presentation, there's like this grandiosity with it. They're like, oh, this is a big deal, especially if it's with to an executive. They get, and they need those chances in their career to get their face in front of leadership, get their talk to their boss's boss to be a known quantity and, and feel that validation. But by giving them, it's almost like a pressure valve of saying, hey, this document can be as in-depth and as answer any question you want it to be. And this is really like the permanent record of this. I need the super summary of this that we're going to share. And this Mm -hmm. together is what is going to be the going out there. By having this document or wiki page or whatever as an ancillary place to put stuff, it helps. It's like a pressure valve. It makes that five-minute talk, that one slider, that picture that they would show a lot easier for them to build because they don't feel like they're having to shove everything in there and like really like, no, I've got all this other stuff. The other the other part with it is that a negative result is still a result. And as, as analyst doesn't control the result of a hypothesis, if it was like, oh, no, we can't do it. It doesn't work. And there's a, there's a point where things don't work because we didn't do them well. But if we do things well and we do things appropriately, sometimes a signal doesn't tell us what we want to hear. Sometimes we don't like it. It's, it's, it is what it is. And it's really easy for younger devs and younger analysts to internalize that and feel, oh no, I'm delivering bad news. I, they're going to shoot the messenger on this one. Yeah. Uh, well, it can happen. But, but one of the things is, so two things. One, I think it's essential for everyone to know how to do exactly what you were describing, which is building a business case. So starting with a problem statement and then walking through it in a document. And I think that's such a good idea. I'm going to attach a template in the podcast notes and to the article, and we'll just give an example. Sure. So love that. The second point is understanding that sometimes people are coming to you with loaded questions and they're looking for a specific answer. And I think it's an analyst job to be like, I used to joke, I was Switzerland, I'm unbiased, it's the data, I'm doing what the data tells me to do. And if it conflicts with what this person's hoping for, so be it. Mm. And I think that's how you build respect. Really. If you're honest, you, you go through your due diligence, you're transparent. I think that's much more effective. I think of the book line with statistics. <laughs> Yeah, because you can you can make them say anything, and and you could probably find some data points that support this person's theory. But if overall things are leaning in a different direction, you have to go where the data goes. Mm. And there's always a like I, I love that book, and I the, yeah. the running joke I've always said is that stats always feels like we're Jedi's because there's a light side and a dark side. There really is like you can manipulate things to say what you want and they might not hold up to data literate and statistically literate people, but 
you put a number in front of people, people start saying the number, that number becomes true in their minds, regardless of whether it's actually true. It's always harder to backtrack on those things. So there's perverse incentives sometimes to like say something and wish it into existence. And then it just exists. The, uh, I, I, I agree with you that the, the analyst job is to be objective and, and transparent. And really with that, I think the important thing for them to do is that they are responsible for really highlighting and understanding the what of they're doing, like how they're doing these things, what the methodology of their work is, how are they coming to this conclusion? And then being open for conversation around what potential assumptions and impacts would be made. Like assumptions have to be made. And it's just more that those need to be called out rather than hidden. Because when you have those hidden assumptions, and it might, it's not necessarily malicious. It's just, you don't think about it. It's like, oh yeah, I just, I grabbed a year's worth of data or something. Like I, I, I grabbed data from the past three months to study some sales trend. Well, mm-hmm. were those three months, November to January, and then you're around Christmas, like, like <laughs> yes. that, that, I mean, it's, if you don't like make it apparent about like when your data was coming from, like at the top, you like, you might be not be faulted for saying, oh yeah, it makes sense that Christmas and the holiday season would matter in this type of analysis. But if you don't at least put that in front of the people that are looking at your stuff, then that might not get caught and erroneous decisions get made based on like, oh man, we see a, a massive uptick in sales. Like we're going to hit that for, for months now. But saying like, no, it's like an anomaly around a holiday season or something like that. So yeah. there is a, uh, there is a, uh, the main responsibility is that transparency and communication of it, because the transparency means things on a couple levels to different people. Myself as a statistician, data scientist type, when I'm having a conversation with another analyst or other type, like I want to probably get in the weeds with you based on like, okay, why are you choosing this algorithm? What about this method? Why are you omitting data like this? How are you handling this type of stuff? See if there's anything that it doesn't pass the smell test of like, oh, this sort of feels like an abuse or maybe an inadvertent spiking of your own data or, or just something that are known problems. At a higher level, it's more just saying, hey, for me to answer your question of what, how is marketing working? Well, I was looking at data from this time frame. I was looking at these types of clients over these types of segments from these types of channels you could probably immediately look at like, oh my goodness, you, you, that's a very limited analysis. So this doesn't work. Or maybe there's, we're missing something of like, oh, you omitted direct mail for some reason. And we need to understand that part of that business or something of that nature. So I think there's a, a lot of responsibility for developing that transparency at the right level. And then just sort of dialing up how much that's technical transparency versus just sort of the storytelling transparency. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of like, uh, that, uh, that is marketing working? There's so many things that could mean, are we building awareness? Are we generating pipeline? Are yeah. we investing somewhere and we're worried we're not getting a return on the investment? Like, what's the real question here? But a lot of times it displays a lack of trust with the information they're getting from the team and they're looking for somebody else to verify it. Sure. Which is a tough thing to navigate and somewhere I've been. so. If you find yourself in the middle of a situation like that, how do you recommend navigating that? I know how I have, but um, how, what steps can somebody take to make sure they're not 
blowing up a line, a landmine on either side of that. Yeah. It's one of those things where I, there is, I think being critical first of your own results is always important. And I, I, if I do something and the results are unexpected, my first inclination is I did something wrong and I broke something. And I think that's an important sort of layer one to have because without that, it's very easy to spin up and tell a story depending on maybe how much cachet you have or how much personal like investment other people have in the narrative that that supports. And just like, I could see it like, oh, I made an analysis that says this sales channel just doesn't work for us. It's bad where we should, we're losing money on it. With just yelling that if there's someone who's like, oh yeah, I've always hated using that channel. Let's just put all of our money somewhere else. We're never going to touch it again. And someone who has invested with this and just, they wanted that narrative. They didn't want to do it in the first place. It's like, cool, ammunition. Let's go make, tell that story that gets spun up. It sort of gets out of your hands like really fast. And it's hard to pull that back and things start moving pretty quickly. And it's very easy to say, well, we have data for this. So one, always making sure that if I am disproving something or there is a strongly held contrary opinion or there is a strongly held like belief about something else, there's a lot of due diligence that I need to do to sort of be like, hey, like I saw this, we double checked it based on all these, get these, I like treat these as like experimental results. I need to prove with some degree of certainty that these actually have merit. So that might mean being a little bit more like introspective about my methodology, getting vetted by other devs, having other people look at it, mm-hmm. especially if I'm finding this case where there is like conflicting ideas or stories being told. And you see this a lot. I've had friends working similar roles. They are brought in to do forecasting for a team where they are sort of producing something that doesn't really jive with the gut level forecasting knowledge of a senior executive who Mm. has experience in sort of traditional or what they would think what they had, they have a prior held belief. And that was a big point of contention there where it's hard to get over that. And it, it might take a longer time to say, what do you need to see for me to prove this to really sort of like highlight this out and in a dispassionate way, really sort of try to break down what these stories are telling. Cause oftentimes it's not so much that the date, like there's a blatantly wrong story being told on one side or the other. It's that they're two slightly different stories and maybe they're talking about two slightly different things, but they're being interpreted incorrectly one way or another that they're think they're solving the same problem. And at sometimes it does get down to a point where, well, there are two camps about what the important question to answer is. And mm-hmm. think about to the marketing question you just posed is like, well, I'm in, like, we care most as a, as a leader, someone might say, I care about opportunities being created. That is my line in the sand for better or worse. And that, that's sort of where I guess like tie breaking leadership needs to come into play. Like the cases can be made. And mm-hmm. when it comes to the decision, it's that. By one metric, something may be working, the other might not, and it's hard to optimize for both. So we just have clarity on that. And then it's it's like, okay, well, we made a decision. We all got to get on board with it. We got to move on. So as an analyst, I would say always be really critical of your own work. And mm-hmm. especially before you start putting stuff in front of leadership, like find other devs you trust, use reviews, yep. use your own manager put things in front of them first, because if 
a big number is getting put in front of an executive like before it's been vetted one either they're going to get they're not going to believe you and mm-hmm. it's sort of like it's sort of just my die in the mind or possibly even worse they might overly believe you and get too excited and just start running with it i'm not sure which one of those two is the more problematic problem yes uh, both. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, both. so it's better if i'm putting something that's like oh wow this was a major change or this is a big deal then I'm going to really make sure that I feel confident that it, it might be weird, but I'm pretty confident in what I did to get to that point. Yeah, I love your point. I would also add in that being aware of the context of the situation is also really critical. So I knew being a business analyst, and this came with experience, if the quarter wasn't going well, and I had one executive asking me pretty pointed questions about a different department, they're trying to prove something wasn't their fault. Yeah. So whenever I would dig in and I was positive about my results and found something really negative on that impacted the other team, I would go to them before any kind of presentation or socializing it with the broader organization to get context. Mm -hmm. I would ask them questions. I would make sure they knew about the issue and that gives them an opportunity to build a get well plan. And I think only good things can come from giving people a heads up. Sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. The These like, especially these types of meetings, I find very seldom should there be unexpected surprises. <laughs> like, yes. I, unless they're like really good ones. But outside of that, it, it feels like it's easy to be like, well, this is just what the data says. Do, 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 do. And I don't want to throw people under the bus. I at least want to give them a heads up and be like, hey, I'm like, as part of like my due diligence to make sure I'm not missing some important context about yep. what's going on in their world or how things are structured, or maybe I'm not understanding the problem at hand. And really like the more important, the more important the result, it seems I try to like the equal amount of due diligence. I try to do like going back through everything, like line by line, completely redo my analysis, make sure that I, wasn't accidentally like spiking my data with something, which happens. It's like, I've had analyses be completely reversed because like, Oh, I was pointing out a wrong version of the data on accident from like a staged copy. Mm -hmm. And there was a, there's a bug in it. And that now this thing doesn't matter. And it's easy to, to not do that because there's always a fear that you're going to invalidate your own efforts. And it's like, Oh, it's, it can be a little egg on your face. If you make all this, like, you start making a big deal out of something with like, oh, look at this analysis I've done. Look at these results I've built. I'm going to help change the company. I'm going to help do X, Y, Z, but have to backtrack. And I've had to backtrack on things before. It's like, oh, I spent a month building this thing. And I look back and I was yep. like, this doesn't make any sense anymore. This was not a good idea. I have to, you, have to, you have to sort of own that. And that's where like proper management structures and like team and really sort of learning how to structure analyses and like sequentially moving through these things to not let things run too far afield come into play. Um, And hopefully things are caught early. There's sort of rigor behind that. And you can really understand the problem earlier on. Yeah. And I've found that the sooner you admit a mistake, the better. Bad news should travel faster than good news, really. So get it in front of everybody and then learn from it. So Mm -hmm. it's not going to negatively impact your career if you make a mistake. If you're honest about it, you communicate it well, and uh, you don't keep repeating the same thing. Yeah, learn yeah. just learn yeah. from I, it. I like. I always look at it as the like making the mistake once 
uh, from a, like a hiring manager perspective, that's just, I'm paying a cost of training. Like that's yeah. either I didn't train them well enough or they are it's like, cool, we just spent a couple thousand dollars more training you to do this. That's okay. That's fine. Yeah. It's when I have to keep redoing that over and over again, then, then we have problems and everything. But oh, it's yeah. the making sure that's like, okay, sometimes those mistakes highlight inherent problems across a company, across understanding, across communication, across management structures. And those things are really making sure that like learning from these in a retrospective fashion can definitely help the entire company grow. But and specifically any sort of like data science machine learning function within it to sort of make that world better for as a like organizational group. Love it. Love it. Okay. So if if we had to summarize, mm-hmm. so I loved your point about be critical of your own work. If you find something unexpected, maybe you did something incorrectly, double check your work. You should double check your work even if yeah. it aligns with expectations, but use some use some logic there. Make sure there are no big surprises in a meeting. So if something's being unveiled, talk to the business unit first, get some additional context and let them know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Don't data spew. Cover the punchline first. And uh, anything else to add? Uh, the last thing I would add is the don't the presentation and how you present is probably as important as the result you did, Gabe. And so there is, I, I would say, focus on visual and complementary storytelling and making sure that they're listening to you when you're talking and not just co-reading a bunch of words on a document. So yeah. investing time and in understanding how to tell a complicated story in a simple visual manner and not just like, oh, I made some default graphics in Excel and they look bad and like threw them up there taking the time to learn those skills is going to pay off in dividends. Cause oftentimes that's going to, the, the sneaky trick is that lends a little bit more professionalism and credence to your capabilities, even if you're saying the exact same thing. So there's a inherent boost to people respecting what you say, but it's also a more effective medium for communicating big ideas and really highlighting things. Such a great point. I think as analysts, sometimes we fall into the trap of believing that the data speaks for us. And, you know, at the very beginning of my career, I'd throw up a chart and expect everybody to see what I see. Not everybody thinks the same way. And being able to communicate in the storytelling format, it just helps things stick so much better, which is like a a whole new episode. And you're going to have to come back on the podcast. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. I'm more happy to. Awesome. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. Where can people network with you online? My LinkedIn's probably the the best place to find me. It's B Bugby on LinkedIn. There's not a lot of, there. There are other Bruce Bugbies out there, but uh, you should be able to find me pretty quickly. And then obviously through all the Caliber Mind social channels, you'll be able to find me fairly quickly. Great. So for those of you who enjoy the podcast and are listening, please rate, review, and subscribe. It does make a difference. And for those of you looking more, for more content like this, check out calibermind.com.